thing. We want to say to anyone who's listening to it right now, if, if you have participated in, in an abortion, we'd like to extend to you the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have supported abortion, we'd like to invite you to receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have financed one in any way, or if you're bearing the pain of having known of one, and it's, it's a secret that you find very, very heavy and hard to bear, there's grace from the Lord Jesus Christ for you. We want that to be heralded with boldness and clarity in all that we do as a church, and, and not the least of which in our conversations about the severe sin and cultural ill of abortion. Welcome to Life in Christ, a podcast of the Landing Church here in Duluth, Minnesota. My name is Brent Nelson. I'm on the pastoral staff here, and I'm also able to sit on the elder council, and thankfully so. One of the things we're doing as a church is we're going through a book called Christian Ethics by Wayne Grudem. It was published in 2018. And the way we're going through it is four out of our six elders are rotating through several of the key chapters and putting those chapters and their content on Christian ethics into a presentation that we as a church receive during our adult Sunday school class each Lord's Day. And it has been wonderful. If you've attended those classes, you've enjoyed them. If you haven't been able to, this podcast is the next best thing. With me today is Paul Anderson. Paul, welcome. Thank you, Brent. Thank you for being a part of this, and thank you for being in the rotation of teaching through Grudem's Christian ethics. It's been a joy to dig into the material that our brother Wayne Grudem has put together and challenge my thinking in many areas and cause me to go deeper in this area and that area. This is my third or fourth topic I've dug into yep. in this particular book, and, and each time I say, wow, I wish I weren't quite done yet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, as the title signifies, those who've clicked on this link know that we're talking about the Christian ethical approach to abortion. We fully recognize that it so happens to be that in this country and culture and in this time of world history, pro-life or pro-choice or pro-abortion positions are highly politically charged. But the reality is we come at this with our Bibles open and our hearts filled with love for God and our minds desiring to think careful, clear, true thoughts about God and about His creation. And that's our framework mainly. We're not interested in taking political positions or denying political positions. That's not the church's aim nor that nor our aim. Our aim, in fact, is to say, what pleases God in this question? What honors his word? What brings about the gladdest outcome, not only to Christians, but to all human beings under the great gift of God's love to all the world, otherwise known as common grace? And we don't want to oversimplify it, but it still seems quite simple that the God of life who creates the gift of life in human beings and calls them his masterpiece says, do not harm them. Do not bring an end to their lives. It is God who gives and God who takes away life, says the scriptures. That's the beginning that I come with. That's the beginning I think lots and lots of careful thinking Christians come with. You're absolutely right. That's, that's well stated. There's one other thing kind of making a little broader cover than that that I would add. Yeah. I've found, in, as I'm sure you have and others have, if God has spoken on something, he doesn't change. That's right. 
He doesn't change. We can count on God's word being as true and accurate today as it was 2,000 years ago or more. And we can also count on things that human beings come up with in their wise, thoughtful minds. We can count on them changing maybe as recent or as quickly as two months from now or six years from now. They're certainly different now than they were 15 years ago. Sure they are, yeah. But God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. We thank you for that. Well, and and rising out of that, then, we must come to grips with the fact that people have been profoundly harmed by the murderous act of abortion. Whether they have perpetrated it, whether they have supported it, whether they have uh, suffered under it. Yeah. I've actually had, maybe you have too, I've had conversations with individuals who have, praise the Lord, survived abortions. So how how do we begin with a note of grace? God is a forgiving God. God wants to extend his grace and mercy to all who will call on his name. The the word is so clear about that. He tells us early on in Romans that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He tells us in 1 John If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, sin is broad. Sin is defined by one catechism as anything in word, thought, or deed contrary to the will of God. But he's he's capable, willing, and desiring to forgive us that and pour out his mercy and grace. He says that as far as from the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's how merciful he is to us. And then... His grace is sufficient for me. We deserve God's wrath for all our sins. But he tells us in 1 Peter, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we've been healed. And that's all summed up, I believe, in the word from Romans again that says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And it doesn't matter what road you've been on. What matters is, what's your relationship with Jesus Christ today? He doesn't doesn't hold grudges past the day that you say, Father, forgive me. I want to be your your child. I want to be obedient to you. I accept you as my Savior. He he doesn't hold grudges beyond that. So for those that have been terribly affected by abortion and, and... being forgiven by God doesn't immediately Brent doesn't immediately remove the wounds that go no, with it. No, it of doesn't. Course. Right. For the one who's had the abortion or for the one who has said, do it, do it, do it. Those wounds don't go away. But God will provide healing for that too. So what we talk about today isn't a matter of us saying bad, bad, bad. It's us saying, How great is God? How great is God to extend to us his forgiveness, even in situations that seem to be just not good. Right. Well, so you and I, on behalf of, of the rest of the leaders of the landing and the faith family at the landing, we want to say to anyone who's listening to it right now, if, if you have participated in, in an abortion, we'd like to extend to you the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have supported abortion, we'd like to invite you to receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have financed one in any way, or if you're bearing the pain of having known of one, and it's, it's a secret that you find very, very heavy and hard to bear, there's grace from the Lord Jesus Christ for you. That's right. In fact, we want to extend, if you, 
If you come to the Lord right now bringing him the deepest, darkest sins of any sort or kind that have been done to you or that you have participated in doing against yourself or others, there is more grace in God than there is sin in you. That's right. We want that to be heralded with boldness and clarity in all that we do as a church, and and not the least of which in our conversations about the severe sin and cultural ill of abortion. Well, when we take a theological approach, God has spoken. What's the first declaration God has made when we talk about the pro-life question of abortion? What's the first voice of God uttered to us foundationally? Well, God, God shows us, God tells us, God speaks very directly and informs us that an infant, child, a baby a pre-born human being, somebody who is just conceived minutes ago, is a person. They have a specific, unique personality. They've got a specific, unique appointment on their life by God, and they're there to fulfill that mission that God's setting them on. How, how would we turn to Scripture and show that it's the understanding of the biblical authors that a child, uh, even before his or her birth, is actually a person? Yeah. Well, well God... God enabled or caused the writers of his holy word to apply human attributes to babies that were in the womb, even emotional um, attributes to the babies in the womb. For example, when Elizabeth, if you recall, she was older in age, she conceived, and they said the angel said, You'll con- your wife will conceive, and, and she did, and about... Three months or so into the pregnancy, Mary came to her and said, "The Lord spoke to me. Yeah. You know, I'm going to bear a son too." Right. Miraculously, yeah, yeah. And at that point, Elizabeth, without quoting scripture right now, but Elizabeth told Mary, "When I heard that, the baby leaped in my womb." So why would the baby leap? Why do why do why do babies leap? They're tickled some way. They're they've got human emotion. They're 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 full of um, anticipation. Right. They're, they're waiting to accomplish or be right. part of what's going to be going on here in yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. She says the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that isn't putting human emotions of joy onto your favorite pet. Not at all. This is actually a human being inside Elizabeth's womb saying. The mother of my Lord has arrived. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So there again, the mother of my Lord has arrived. Yeah. Even that statement, the mother of my Lord. Yeah. My Lord is three months younger, if you will, than John is in Elizabeth's womb. Right. And yet Elizabeth is saying, the mother of my Lord, that baby named Jesus, caused this baby to leap for joy. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> what an amazing thing. What yep. an amazing thing. What a what a place to start. Oh, that's glorious. Elizabeth and Mary were going through a pretty joyful time in the of life. Course, extremely sure. joyful. David, on the other hand, was going through a, a time of deep grief where he, in fact, through his sin with Bathsheba, had separated, had caused a, a difficulty, a, a schasm, if you will, between a chasm between him and, and God. And he's saying this isn't right. God, please, please, please. And at one point, that's from Psalm 51, he talks about um, creating me a clean heart, oh God, renewing me a right spirit. That's how broken he is. But he says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my, my mother conceive me. 
He's saying when his mother conceived him, he was a sinful person. He's not saying his mother was sinful. He's not saying his father was sinful. He's saying he was a sinful person. And yet now he's, he wants to reconcile his relationship with God after that sin he committed with Bathsheba. So there again is another example of giving human attribute, human responsibility, human personality to that little baby that's, that's been formed in the, in the mother's womb. Yeah, and then there's that famous passage from Psalm 139. Yeah. Uh, form, you form me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Yeah. And, and that fits, of course, perfectly with the majority of our culture where a woman becomes pregnant and she's singing to the child and she's taking care of her health and she's um, watching her, her intake of food and caffeine and all kinds of important things to eat the right things and to get enough water and to go to doctor visits and to uh, avoid certain dangerous activities, all for the sake of helping this child grow healthy and strong in her womb. She's not going to be the child's mother. She already is the child's mother. I can think of many examples like that myself where a mother uh, a mother carrying a baby will say, well, my little one kept me up all night. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even personal things. I've got to go to the washroom again. My little one's telling me to That's get right. in there. That's you know? right. That's right. And, and we know from scientific observation that the little one, as you so helpfully said on Sunday, the little one actually has different chromosomal uh, signature yeah. than either mother or father. Separate person. That's right. So you often might hear someone in, in a resistance to the pro-life position saying, keep your laws off my body, but in fact, it's truer than you think. Why don't we keep laws off and hands off of everybody's body? Yeah. Maybe it's not just yours that we should hold in high esteem and, and care and, and not put undue laws on your body, but also the body of your unborn child is worth prizing and keeping and caring for and respecting. In other words, that argument could actually be enlarged in order to encompass all the human beings involved in the question. God didn't, in, from my perspective, God didn't speak specifically about genetics, That's right. although he wrote the book on them. <laughs> but God didn't, <laughs> I like that. God, That's right. God didn't speak about genetics. Um, that one, to me, kind of falls over in the human reason, human understanding sure. side, and that's powerful. That's extremely powerful to see yeah. what our Lord has done, what our God has done. Right. But I believe, Brent, as time goes on, I think that will become increasingly convincing sure. in ways we can't even imagine today. Right. For today, we know what God has said, and we'll talk maybe next time Next time, yeah. about, about how that might develop further as time goes on. But you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. The, God took that mother and father's chromosomes, put them kind of in a melting pot, said, this is for this baby, that's for this baby, not this. Boom, a new baby, not like mom, not identical to mom and dad, but designed for God's purposes from, from the time of conception. What other passages of Scripture, Paul, can we turn to as God speaks? He's not silent, but he's speaking and giving us his word to guide us, especially when we, when we look at the question of, is, is the child conceived in his or her mother's womb a person? I'm glad you asked me that because there's one that's just jumping in my head sure. saying, talk about this one. Yeah. It really caught my attention when I was going through this stuff. Rebecca in the Old Testament was barren. And Isaac went to the Lord and said, help me, help Rebecca. And God said, okay, she'll conceive. And she did conceive. And she had twins inside her womb. The word says, 
the children struggled together within her. And Rebecca said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you, the one shall be stronger than the other, and the other shall serve the younger, the older shall serve the younger. That's power. That's so powerful when I read that, because here is a woman who's not pregnant. God says you'll become pregnant, and you've got two nations, not just people, individuals, but God has plans. So that that there's two babies there that are, for whatever reason, they're fighting. Well, isn't that a sign of a kid? Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's Jacob and Esau, right? Yeah. It's Jacob and Esau. Yeah. And, and, and you're pointing your finger on the fact that God is doing so much more in the formation of an infant in his mother's womb. Two nations are in He womb. has already ordained their life and their legacy, not just their life, but their legacy. And these are just two little guys in the mom's belly fighting. <laughs> and Rebecca's saying, what in the world's going on here? Why is this happening? It's a glorious reality when you know that the Lord is up to more, much more than you realize. Well, you you want to say to any couple or any uh, that, that feels overwhelmed by adding another child to their family, or any woman who feels overwhelmed by the thought of bearing a child when she may not be married, or or just feels she can't raise or afford a child at this point, more is going on than just you having a baby. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, history is being made, and God's will is unfolding. And it will be glorious for you for 10, 20, 30, 50, 70 uh, years, but it will be glorious for heaven for an eternity. Amen. Because this person formed in the image of God in your womb is an eternal being, a, a soul that has no end. Other passages that you can marshal for us to help us understand how the Bible uh, plainly teaches that the unborn child is a person. We also see it in Luke a passage that conveys detail even around the throne of the incarnation of Christ. The text says, And the angel answered her. This is between the angel and Mary. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This passage is uniquely significant from my perspective because this is God, through an angel, telling Mary that the baby that's going to develop in her uterus isn't going to become Jesus, God-man. Right. He is Jesus, God-man. God placed that baby in Mary's womb as God and man. Doctrinally, absolutely yeah. crucial. Absolutely yeah. crucial. Yeah. It didn't happen at birth. It didn't happen when he ended up in the temple and his parents... Right quote-unquote, forgot him there. Right. <laughs> it happened when the Holy Spirit conceived him in Mary's womb, period. The virginal, miraculous conception. Yeah. Yeah, that's the appropriate term. It's at conception. Yeah. Wonderful. How wonderful is our God? How, how great is our God? How, how magnificent are his plans for these babies, mm -hmm. for you and me to live under and alongside these babies? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Next time, we'll take up the question more of uh, human rationale, but there's another line of thinking in the Scriptures where there's passages repeatedly uh, uh, mentioned in different contexts, especially the Old Testament law and elsewhere, where the taking of an unborn child's life is regarded as killing. It's regarded as murder. Yeah, this one, th these passages kind of turn the conversation in a little bit not-so-joyful perspective. It's sober. But it, but it's, it's sobering. True. It's very sobering. Yeah. Very sobering. Um, in Exodus... Um, God lays out real clearly 
I want to I want to read just part of it here. Yeah, but, please do. Um, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, so you've got Paul's Paul's paraphrase. You got two guys fighting together. Two guys fighting over a woman, and they hit a woman. Yeah. They you know, and so that her children come out, but there's no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, so there's a penalty, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But listen to this. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. The law is concerning two men who are fighting, and something happens accidentally. That's key, accidentally. The pregnant woman gets hit, and one of two things will happen. If the baby is born, even prematurely, and there's no harm to the baby or the mother, the man that hit the mother is held accountable to pay a fine, to be punished for doing that, for endangering that little one who is still in uterine, even if that baby is born healthy. But the other part is, if there's harm, again, remember, this is accidental. This isn't somebody saying, I'm going to go and kill this baby. No. This is somebody just saying, I'm going to square it up here with Brent and, and the, the woman gets hit. Yeah. If there's harm, then the man who caused the harm will pay eye for eye, life for life, so on and so forth. That means that both the mother and the unborn child are given equal legal protection by God, and the penalty for harming the unborn child is just as great as for harming the mother. In other words, there's two living beings here. Both are precious and, and protected in the sight of God. You harm either one of them, you will pay the penalty. It's a profound thing. Exodus 21 is what you're, what you're explicating for us. It's a profound thing to realize that, that the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the, the Trinity, the Spirit, and the Father together gave the law to reflect the character and value and worth and principles of God to say to ancient Israel through Exodus 21, but to all humankind throughout all time, an unborn child is a person worthy of the same honor, respect, and care as his or her mother. Exactly, yep. And and it's so different than the rest of the law that's laid out by God in that particular part of the Bible, because if two men are out doing logging together and an axe head falls off and kills somebody accidentally, the man who with swinging the axe, can run to a city of refuge and be saved. He'll have to be confined to that city until certain things pass. But that's different. In the case of a child being killed or the mother of a child, no. There is no running to a city of refuge. It's eye for eye, life for life. Marked difference in the level of punishment. Well is the country that takes into account, as many of the framers of our Constitution in the United States have done and other nations have done, what the Bible says about the value of human life. I mean, quite frankly, I think any nation that seeks to find in its constitutive documents the right to kill an unborn child, as our nation has tried to do now for more than 50 years, is a nation looking for, uh, looking for permission to, to do murder in a document where it won't exist, and it doesn't exist. We can talk more about human response and human reasoning in our next time. Uh, Paul, this has been wonderful. This, is, this has been edifying. I hope it's been a blessing for everybody who's listened in, but it's been a tremendous joy for me. I hope you, you found it edifying and strengthening to your soul it, as you think built, It's this. built my spirit up immensely during the time that I was able to study this.
If you're listening to Life in Christ right now, we're glad you're listening. Uh, If you have a church home, dive into your church home and pray for your leaders that they would be fearless and bold to proclaim everything written in God's Word without modification or change or minimizing. If you don't have a church home, find one quickly. We're not in a time in the history of the world where you can live the myth of a false Lone Ranger, single Christianity. There's no such thing. Get with God's people. Dive in. Offer your gifts. Receive the benefit of their gifts to you. Open yourself up. Live out all the one another commands that you find scattered throughout the scriptures and find your soul growing with a joy and a power and a sweet intimacy with Christ that can never possibly be achieved by a single individual all alone. We are meant to live in community, and Christ died on the cross for us to enjoy that community. I hope that's your experience, Lord's Day after Lord's Day. It is ours here at the landing, and you're welcome to come visit us if you're looking for a church and don't have one. Thank you for listening. Thank you for engaging with us. Thank you for seeking with us the life that's found in God's Word alone. We're going to continue this conversation on Pro-Life Matters next time. Click in, listen in, engage with us. We welcome it. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Life in Christ. This podcast is a ministry of The Landing Church in Duluth, Minnesota. For more resources or information about The Landing, visit www.thelanding.church.